You are now tuned in to Poppy Chulo Radio, your web portal for the best in pop culture news and interviews. Because the first step to a new beginning is imagining that one is even possible. The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Storybrook Weekly Mirror in Hyperion Heights, the unofficial Once Upon a Time podcast, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series, Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, March 5th, 2018, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we're going to recap, review, and dissect the ABC series, Once Upon a Time. Please welcome my co-hosts, Heather Bishop. Hey, guys. Jenna Pace. Hey, everybody. And Vinnie Hatcher. Hello. That was very smooth. All right. <laughs> Let's jump into our recap of Season 7, Episode 11, which was titled Secret Garden and aired March 2nd, 2018. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Eager to harness her burgeoning magical skills, Robin engages in a risky relationship with Mother Gothel. Meanwhile, in Hyperion Heights, Ronnie and Kelly strike a deal with Eloise, desperate to save Lucy from her mysterious illness. But nothing comes without a price. As things finally come to a head between Victoria and Ivy, someone may have to pay with their life. Let's check in on the ratings for Season 7, Episode 11, 7 Once Upon a Time opened its final stretch of episodes with 2.2 million total viewers and a .4 demo rating, ticking down on both counts from its winter finale to mark new series lows. So I want to get everyone's initial reaction to the episode. Let's see, who's going to go first? Eeny, meeny, miny, Heather. Okay, so I am very, uh, I, can't, I don't can't decide if I like this episode or if I, if I really like it or if I'm just going to like, eh, about this episode. And as, as I've been preparing for the podcast, I've watched it a couple of times, and the more I think about it, the more I like the episode. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about a lot of different points on it, but I think one of the reasons that I, I'm not a big fan, I, I wasn't originally a big fan of the episode 
is because I still don't know how I feel about Zelina as a character on the show. So anything I say like from here on out, you got to take it with that kind of grain of salt. Just want to put that out there before we start the podcast. But I'm really pumped to start, to start talking about this episode. All right now. So she likes it. She really kind of maybe sort of likes it. And that's going to be interesting. I'm excited to hear all of what Heather has to say, but I'm excited to hear what everyone else has to say as well. So let's see who's going to go next. Vinny. My heart. She doesn't like Selena. Ah. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, she was, maybe she wasn't here for when you you did your uh, impression. Yeah, right. <laughs> that could change it. That could change right. it. Oh, God. And that it's now I'm on the spot. I don't think I can do it. Ah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this, this I've watched this episode three times in the past uh, couple days. And overall, I liked it. I, I really thought that it was nice to come back from a two or three month break and dive right into not only where the story left off with Lucy, but to pick right up again with Regina and Zelina and kind of just dive right into these last few episodes of the season. Uh, there was one or two points where I was kind of like Heather, where I'm like, I'm still kind of up on the fence about whether it was like, I, I'm okay with it. Or it could have been a little bit different. Um, and it, there's one arc in particular, which I'll cover when we get to that. But overall, I was really, really pleased. I think this season has done a great job of kind of doing a more mature round of Once Upon a Time. You know, being in the city and urban and a little bit more gritty than the previous seasons in certain ways. I think the element of darkness was definitely still there. And they did a great job of putting a pall of danger with this new mystery that's coming up that we'll talk about here in a bit uh, to shadow over the rest of the season. So, yeah, that's my kind of initial overview. All right. And Jenna Pace? I really liked this episode. Um, it It was really uncomfortable, particularly in the first half. But it was definitely action-packed. It had a lot of really interesting and unique character interactions that I didn't know I wanted. But once I got it, I really, really liked it. Um, I think that I, there was there were like there were like one or two elements that I I'm like Vinny and Heather. I'm still kind of figuring out how I feel about that. But I guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But I like the mysteries that it's set up, and it took some twists that I did not expect. So, yeah, I'm a fan. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. I really, really liked it, and I was surprised by how much I liked it. Especially knowing that we're headed into the final run. I just, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like, I really did. I loved the inclusion of a Haunted Mansion character. I mean, that was, it was brilliant what was done with it because they actually used lines of dialogue from the attraction which was awesome and uh i really liked what they're doing with the series because i don't know if it's hyperion heights or the fact that they're playing with different characters from a different realm so they don't necessarily have to 100 percent be related to either Regina or Rumple per se, but the fact that they can combine the characters in a different way and the fact that they're taking as many risks as they are in this season, I kind of wish that they would have done that before. I, I think uh, this season, for as much flack as it's getting from the fandom because a lot of their favorites left, 
it's a really original season, and they're taking a lot more risks than they have in the past. And I have to give a shout-out to the director, Mick Garris. He is a well-known horror movie director. So a lot of you sort of referenced in your initial reaction the darkness of the episode, and it was a little bit spookier. I mean, we're dealing with a coven of witches and that kind of thing, but I noticed the... Um, darker, more ominous tone of the episode as well. And that was refreshing, to be quite honest. So uh, before we get into a thorough recap of the latest episode of Once Upon a Time, here's our announcer with a few special announcements. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasters discussing some of your favorite television shows. Visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts for a complete list of all the podcasts that we produce. You will get up-to-date information on whether the podcast is currently releasing new episodes or if it's on hiatus. You will also be able to click a link to either take you to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or the Poppy Chula Radio archives to download the podcast. To binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasts, visit poppychularadio.com podcasts. Would you like to be one of the podcasters on this podcast discussing your favorite television show? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. We are always looking for new voices to add to our collection of podcasts. To become a co-host you must be at least 18 years old. You must be comfortable sharing your opinions. And you must be comfortable using Skype. There's no podcast experience required. So if you think you have what it takes to be a Poppy Chula Radio on-air personality, email talent at poppychularadio.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This is a Poppy Chula Radio special announcement. Poppychularadio.com is currently looking to expand its web presence, and we're looking for your help. If you're a fan of Poppy Chulo Radio and its signature series, please visit GoFundMe.com slash Radio and help us with our campaign. Every dollar amount donated will be improving the Poppy Chulo Radio experience and making it more interactive and user-friendly. We thank you in advance for your support. This has been a Poppy Chulo Radio special announcement. We now return you to our regularly scheduled programming. Thanks, announcer. All right, let's get into it. A quick shout-out to the opening title card, which featured Madame Leota inside of the mirrored O of Once Upon a Time. So, uh, as we always do, we start off in the past, and uh, we start off in the past not in... uh, the new realm that we've been exploring. We start off in the past in Storybrooke, inside of um, Regina's infamous vault. So uh, Robin, who is 18 years old, is uh, trying to do some witchcraft with a cauldron and uh, the spellbook of her grandmother, and uh, nothing works. Zelina arrives. She's annoyed by the fact that um, Regina gave her a book of spells. 
and Robin is just trying to find her place because she is the daughter of the Wicked Witch of the West, so she feels that, uh, you know, she needs to learn magic. After an argument and, and that kind of thing, uh, Robin sort of uh, huffs away, and uh, when she's outside in the uh, graveyard, something happens with the potion that she created, she ends up dropping it, and uh, a puff of smoke takes her away. We uh, pick up with our friends in the magical forest, as we're calling it, in Tiana's gorgeous palace, and uh, we, we get just a little bit of, um, of uh, wish hook, you know, basically uh, longing for his uh, daughter as he looks at uh, um, Ella and Henry with their new daughter, and all of a sudden, via some magic from uh, Doctor Strange, Zelina uh, arrives in the New Realm to basically tell Regina that Mother Gothel has kidnapped Robin. Burm, burm, burm! Alright, we're going to pause right here for just a second because I want to get Vinny's take on seeing Storybrooke again, seeing an 18-year-old Robin, and seeing Zelina and her mothering skills. You know, I, I, I love that Regina's Crypt ha is like apparently the cool kids hangout place now. <laughs> like, I'm just, I, if I remember correctly, this place is full of the hearts of old victims still and like deadly magics. And Regina was just cool with handing over Cora's Fisher Price book on demonic summoning <laughs> for kids. I thought that was hilarious, actually. Um, but no, you know, I really, I think the way that Robin was portrayed in the beginning of this actually is it could not have been better for the daughter of such a selfish and wicked character like Zelina, who did so much damage to everybody and all she ever wanted was her own family. She wanted that idyllic little white picket fence, her own little child that loved her, who she thought the plan would be the kid would love her unconditionally and, you know, be everything that she ever wanted. And she comes to find out that just like the rest of the world, parenting is never what you expect. And I absolutely adored the fact that right off the bat, Robin was like itching to be more powerful than her mother. She was wanting to demonstrate that she was able to hold her own, and she had that streak of selfishness. She was Zelina's daughter portrayed perfectly, and then for Zelina to suddenly, you know, over these past 18 years of raising her child to find out that you can want it to be something it doesn't mean it's going to happen. I, I think that was a really nice twist instead of having everything just be perfect and hunky-dory for them like we saw them uh, in the flashback in the last half of the season. Uh, I, I definitely kind of saw that, you know, if I had to imagine how a child of Zelina would grow up, it would she'd be facing a lot of her own traits that she worked so hard to overcome in that child. Uh, the Regina handing over Cora's spellbook, I, I don't... I, I just don't like that. I don't think that Regina's that stupid and... Uh, when Regina, you know, mentions, oh, she's a kid, everyone plays around, it, that, it struck a chord with me that that's not how Regina is after all the crap that she's been through with magic. I just don't feel like she would be like, oh, here, have my crazy, you know, power-hungry mother's super powerful spell book and, and enjoy it, go dabble. Uh, that, that was kind of 
un-Regina-esque, uh, but I'll let that slide. And then I think my favorite part was when the cell phone just kind of pinged as the three wannabe witches are sitting around the cauldron, and it just, it was like that pinging was, oh, yep, we're in Storybrooke, we're not in the uh, anywhere else, but because there's modern technology with fantastic magic attempts. So, yeah, it was definitely a nice start, and it was really awesome to see that kind of back and forth between Zillian and her daughter, and I really enjoyed that part. I like it. So, all right. Zelina is hell-bent that this was Mother Gothel, and uh, Zelina takes it very uh, personally. And, and even though Regina is trying to help, Zelina is very much sort of like gung-ho on like wanting to make Mother Gothel pay. There's this really great moment of interaction between Zelina and Wishhook, who she calls Nook for new hook and uh there were there was like some really great sort of like little bits of dialogue like sort of like discussing storybrook and you know emma and uh hook were off sheriffing and, and that kind of thing and uh we also get uh, some really great uh, sort of uh, info dump on mother gothel because in the spell book robin was using it to basically make contact to mother earth and Gothel is another word for Mother Earth, and uh, we learn that Gothel didn't have any powers and that kind of thing, or doesn't have any magic in their realm, but obviously she does in her own realm. So there was a little bit of information about Mother Gothel that we got from Zelina. Hook wants to help because uh, he wants to get his revenge on Mother Gothel as well, and Zelina ends up uh, reluctantly agreeing to take him on as well. So let's pause right here, and I want to get uh, Heather's take on Zelina and uh, Nook. What did you think of them together? I actually really enjoyed that. That's like, um, I wasn't expecting that to be a pairing that I would really enjoy, and I did. Um, as soon as, and as soon as she called him Nook, I was like, I'm never calling him anything else but Nook. So right. that was happening. <laughs> um, I like to see that the in-laws are getting along. That's great. And it's very interesting because I think that um, the difference between Nook and actual Hook this version, the Wish Realm version of Hook, would have more in common with Zelina than our original version of Hook. Just because this is the Hook that has got, gone against his revenge so that he could raise his daughter. He's moved past all of the pain in his past, well, most of the pain in his past, and he's dealing with this vengeful witch who is keeping him away from his daughter. So, of course, as soon as he sees Zelina in a similar situation, he's going to want to jump to help that. And I really I loved watching the dynamic play out between the two of them throughout, throughout the entire episode. Um, and especially seeing how Colin O'Donoghue plays um, this hook just slightly different than he does the other hook. And the, the small little nuances between that. So... I really enjoyed that, and I, I never thought I would. I never thought I needed a Hook and Zelina relationship of any kind, and it's really fascinating, and I can't wait to see um, if there's any more interactions between them, which I'm assuming there will be because of you know their daughters in a relationship. So I really liked it, and uh, I can't wait to see more of that. So uh, Hook 
has an idea, or I should call him Nook. Nook has an idea. He's got a map, as many pirates do, and it's going to take them to a special shop of curios that uh, witches like to uh, visit. And it's hidden and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we are introduced to Memento Mori, the shop that uh, they stumble into. And uh, they enter the shop and uh, there's a seance going on that's being conducted by Madame Leota. And Gothel is there as well, and we find Robin, too. And it turns out that Robin was not kidnapped by Mother Gothel. Robin went willingly. Like, Robin wants Mother Gothel to basically be her mentor in the magical arts. And so, uh, you know, even though Zelina is all hell-bent on getting Robin out of the situation because of who Mother Gothel is. Uh, Robin it picks her mother, and that mother is uh, Mother Gothel. And so uh, she ends up uh, showing uh, Zelina and Hook the door, basically. Jenna, talk to me about this scene with... Uh, everyone inside of uh, Memento Mori. Okay, well, I love that shop. It's just cool. Like, I'm sad that we're only going to see it for, like, a single episode because, like, I don't know, it's kind of like Rumple Shop anywhere where, where, like, I want to just explore it and go through it and look at all the magical baubles. Anyways, um, so this scene is just fantastic. I, it's, I kind of was able to predict that Robin kind of like, Robin it was going to be more, you know, interested in joining up with Gothel and learning her magic, especially with conflicts between Robin and Zelina. Like, at the very least, it was going to be kind of like, like, they she was taken, but very easily came around. I was a little surprised to see it was, like, fully, like, it was fully reciprocated, like, that interest in joining up. Um, The talking down to definitely stung as i said for the first half of this episode is incredibly uncomfortable because it's like all the characters are doing the wrong thing and this is no and this is probably the height of that for me just seeing Zelina get this talking down to and robin's right in some senses but it's just like while she definitely has a point where she should be asserting her freedom to be who she is and like wants to explore her talent she's going about it in the worst way and it's just, it's heartbreaking to watch it. And it's heartbreaking to see Zelina, who's always had these self-confidence issues and, like, this these abandonment issues, just have to, you know, have to take it. And then when she's shown the door, this stubborn character, and we see how stubborn she is in the scene before when she's talking with Nook, we just see her, like, go out, like, without much of a fight at all. And it shows just, this is like Zelina's weakest moment with in the midst of getting this talking down to. And, you know, it's also hard for Nook to see it because, you know, he's, he's basically watching like another failed parent-child relationship and done by the same person who caused he and Alice that suffering. So it's just a very, it's just a very sad scene and the actors sell it so well 
Tierra, this is really Tierra's first like moment where she gets to shine because the, she's the head of this big emotional scene and she just sells it so well and everybody else sells it so well and Emma Booth she's just so wicked and creepy and she's just fantastic I agree I co-sign with a lot of that let me ask this are any of you Disney Parks fans? Like, are any of you familiar with the Haunted Mansion? Have you ridden the Haunted Mansion? Uh, because the whole inclusion of Madame Leota was kind of nutty from out the gate, like, when they announced it. But the fact that, you know, she was inside uh, the Crystal Ball, the fact that uh, the shop is Memento Mori, there is an actual shop in Walt Disney World called uh, Memento Mori. It's a gift shop and has Haunted Mansion, uh, you know, stuff in it. The fact that she was given, like, direct, word-for-word dialogue from the attraction. Like, I geeked out. Like, I'm a huge Disney Parks fan. Like, I've gone to Walt Disney World more than, you know, I could count, you know, in my lifetime. And uh, Haunted Mansion is one of my favorite attractions. So, seeing, like, how accurate they were in the depiction of Madame Leota was awesome for me. Do we have any other, like, Haunted Mansion fans? I went um, to Disney World this August and I went on the Haunted Mansion, which is a fantastic ride. Just honestly, I'm now just kind of wondering why they didn't make the, the whole thing happen in a mansion instead of just a shop. Like it didn't really, like it could have been like just a room in the mansion with a bunch of magic things going on. But if you have a character from the Haunted Mansion and she has all this dialogue, maybe it should have been in a mansion now that you, now that I think about it. But it was really cool to see her and see how close the adaptation was. See, I would be able to make that connection, but the Haunted Mansion in Disneyland shut down for renovations the day that I got there. Oh, that's sad. sad. I know. I was very sad because I was looking forward to it. I, feel I had you. to go through and research it because I've, I've never been to either of the parks. And I was like, I know that name and that character looks so familiar. And as soon as I um, pulled it up, I was like, oh, Haunted Mansion. But like my connection is the Eddie Murphy movie, not the, the ride. You know what? That but movie sorry. gets a lot of flack, but it was actually a fun movie. I it didn't was. mind it. It was. It was. It was. It and gets a lot actually, of hate, especially from yeah. like true fans of the Haunted Mansion. But I thought it was a fun movie. They are supposedly like not even in like pre-production, but they're in like they've been in talks for quite a few years on like creating a darker version of the Haunted Mansion, one that maybe is a little bit more in tune with the darker aspects of the actual ride. So there might be another Haunted Mansion movie in the future. But uh, I don't mind the comedy one. I thought it was perfectly fine, and uh, I, I like how they used the Haunted Mansion lore in uh, the film. I, I thought it was appropriate. Well, there's one little interesting piece of trivia that I had to refresh myself on it after watching the entire episode, but are you all familiar with what Memento Mori actually translate to from Latin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember that you have to die. So I thought that was really appropriate 
given what is about to happen with Zelina walking in here to try and save her daughter, it was almost like a little bit of like foreshadowing of like, yeah, remember, if you want to save your daughter, you're going to have to die. It, it kind of was a really interesting little piece of a Easter egg there. I like it. And I also like the fact that they brought on the character Madame Leota and they've turned her into... I guess this incredibly powerful person who is uh, either trapped in the spirit realm or trapped in that crystal ball or something. But the fact that Madame Leota is like ridiculously powerful and apparently this is someone that Gothel looks up to or admires, I, I thought that was a unique twist on uh, the character. Jeff, I just had my, I just had mm-hmm. a thought. When you said spirit world, Dr. Facilier, voodoo dolls, yep. maybe there's some... I just there thought the go. same thing. I've been practicing how you say his name because I was going to make that point in today. Uh, Jenna, you took I can't it. say Facilier, but I got it. Well, you it. did just now. You just got did. it. He's yeah. got friends on Best the other practice, side. Let me tell you. He does have friends on the other side. I like it. I approve of all of it. So and he and Yoda are spirit world Facebook friends. Either that or they're uh, hardcore enemies. Ooh. We'll have to wait and see. My enemy is my friend. Yes, the Wicked Witch of the West. All right. (laughs) So, continuing on, Zelina is basically, uh, you know, she has succumbed to the fact that she's lost her daughter to Mother Gothel, but Hook, or Nook, ends up telling her that uh, she can save Robin by using something that's more powerful than magic. Love. And so uh, they head on back to the shop. And, uh, well, before they actually arrive, we see a little bit more of what's going on. Robin is ecstatic that she is going to basically be an apprentice to this powerful witch in uh, Mother Gothel. And, um, you know, she's so excited that she's going to take part in a resurrection spell for Madame Leota, so that Madame Leota can live until she learns that she has to be sacrificed so that Leota can live. And uh, Robin learns the truth. Uh, Gothel was not interested in uh, teaching her anything. Uh, She was interested in using her as a sacrifice. And so Zelina and Nook arrive, and uh, they are there to try to save Robin. Zelina is uh, powerless as far as magic goes, but um, she does end up pushing Robin out of the circle that was created so that the spell could work. And uh, Zelina takes her place to make herself the sacrifice. And uh, while, you know, there's a very emotional plea about the love for each other, uh, Robin ends up using a bow and arrow, one whose legend says, you know, never misses uh, a mark, and saves uh, Zelina by aiming it at the resurrection amulet, shooting it out of Gothel's hand. And uh, she even threatens Gothel with another arrow uh, before Gothel and uh, Leota end up poofing away. So later on, Zelina and Robin both free from uh, that that spell. They begin to bond, and uh, 
Robin basically says or confesses to Zelina that magic really isn't her thing, but she felt that because of uh, her mother, you know, that she had to learn it and, um, you know, she isn't really that good at it and whatnot. And all of her magical powers were sucked into this resurrection amulet. And uh, she realized that maybe archery is more her thing since, uh, you know, she sort of felt more at ease with a bow and an arrow. And so Robin decides to give her magic that had been sucked into the amulet to Zelina. And uh, that's how Zelina gets her powers back. So, alright. Any thoughts on how the flashback ended? The emotional plea between mother and daughter, this resurrection amulet. What did you all think? Uh, let's see, who should go? Let's go with Heather. Um, I have a lot of questions about the resurrection amulet. Um, it seems very so, OP. It looks like you could do anything with it. It does, and it's also... I, this is one of the things that I actually did have a problem with with the episode that I feel like kept me from buying into that part of it because we've we've established that there are ways around death in the show. They've established, they established it in Season 3 when they brought back Rumpel, Season 5 when they brought back Hook, and, you know, there are little there are bypasses to it. But this one just kind of feels strange because it's a one-for-one -one trade for someone whose soul hasn't settled onto the other side or something along those lines. So with the one-for-one -one trade on Rumple Siltskin when he was in the when he was uh, when they had to go when Belle and Neil went to the vault to the dark one and brought him back. I was kind of like, eh. On, uh, at that moment in season three when I first watched that. But I was okay with it because he was the dark one. So the darkness is like, it's this embodiment of dark magic and it's a power and it has to have a host. So when you trade for that, ho when you trade for that, it makes sense. Or at least I can reason through it. But just this random resurrection amulet that's just now popped up that is a trade for one-for-one -one life. I don't know how I feel about that one. It's It feels a little bit like a magical MacGuffin that they've just brought up for some very specific reason that I can't figure out yet. Like, I mean, obviously they're going to use it to bring, probably bring back Le uh, Leota at some point or something like that, but I feel like it's, it's there for a very specific reason other than just that. So, I don't know. I had a lot of mixed emotions about the Resurrection Amulet and what it can do and why we haven't heard about it before. I mean, I guess none of the heroes would have used it because it is a one-for-one -one trade, but I feel like Rumpelstiltskin would have, would have definitely known what that was back in his dark one days, or at least Zelina would have known what it was. So I don't know how I feel about that. But that was my biggest point in the whole um, scenes between Zelina and Robin and Mother Gothel. I was like, what is this resurrection amulet and what does it mean? You know, I can totally understand where you're coming from, and I... I won't lie, I myself have issues with that kind of stuff as well. The only way that I can even say anything that might sort of like calm those issues down is the fact that you just have to like go with the flow, to be quite honest. It, it's a series that's in year number seven. It uh, is a magical series 
that deals with, you know, a mythology and unfortunately it's just stuff that we have to be like okay you know i don't know why it's never been mentioned before but it's being mentioned now and i guess we're gonna have to go with it i felt the exact same way earlier this season with the whole thing about the guardian because that didn't exist until this season and so now you know we have to sort of like go with that as well as that uh realm in which uh Rumple and Bell lived like that didn't exist until this season so I totally get where you're coming from but you just either have to accept it or it's always gonna bug you that's very true I can accept it I just have questions well I came up with a, a way that I kind of made myself feel better about that uh, because her. the amulet came from Gothel well there you and go Gothel, it's a different realm yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so there's different histories. Yeah. That's fair. What my problem was is the magical liposuction stone, as I, I'm jokingly calling it in my mind, it, it seems like it needed magic to work. So she had first Robin and then later Drizella, but yet the magical liposuction worked on people who didn't have magic at the time. Like, that's where I was confused. Oh, that's fair. Well... I no, like, like I think energy. they're going to have to explain exactly what this thing does, because yeah. the, the reason that I called mm -hmm. it called it like OP is because it seems to do everything, oh, because yeah. initially the way that they sort of described it, it was it wasn't necessarily sucking the magic out. It was like trading a life for the other. So I'm going to assume that has nothing to do with you you being a magical person. You know, random Joe yeah. Schmo that doesn't have any magic, you suck their life out, so they die. And then it, I guess whatever you want to call it, their life essence is transferred to someone else so that they can live. You know, boom. But then there was that whole thing of like, but it also sucks the magic out of people, which yeah. I didn't really understand. Yeah that and they didn't really it explain like, it so I, the only yeah. explanation we got was with anastasia because she says with her magic we can refuel it so maybe i mean i i walked away thinking okay so maybe magic is like the battery that goes into this thing and then once it has that battery it can do the resurrection that's the only connection that i made but even then it was very very superfluous and really I, it didn't make sense I was kind of thinking, like, maybe, it, maybe like, magic, like, when they take out your life force, the magic just goes first. And then the rest of your life force, like, magic's almost like a shield in a way. So it's like they take down the shield, and then they can take your life after that. Yeah. But then they were talking about it being powered, so... Yeah. yeah. I didn't... Like extra yeah. fuel. <laughs> I had oh less of a problem gosh. with it resurrecting magic than I did with it resurrecting people. <laughs> that was the problem with me. I was like, oh, Zelina has her magic bag because of the resurrection amulet. Okay, that's good. Listen, I'll say I don't care. I think I said this before. I was like, I don't care how they get her magic back just as long as they get it back. So yeah. I am fine yeah. with her getting her mm -hmm. magic back even if it's with this little uh, Simon-looking thing. I was just thinking <laughs> that. <laughs> that's how you turn on the amulet. You have to hit the pedals in order. Yes. Gotcha. It makes sense now. 
<laughs> yeah. So, oh well. Whatever it was, I'm cool with it. And I also like that even though they started off in a rocky place, which sort of did make sense in the grander scheme of things, I like that they ended this flashback with the mother and daughter sort of bonding and, um, you know, having them sort of uh, to the point where we saw them uh, the very first time that we saw Robin and Zelina, which it feels like it was a hundred years ago, but it was genuinely just the previous episode. (laughs) Right? That's too funny. All right. Any final thoughts on the flashback before we head on into present day? Mm Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, So, I... Hook, no matter the reality, gives the best pep talks. That was just a really good pep talk that he gave. And I like the place of understanding that it comes from. Also, the action sequence between um, Hook, well, Nook, Selena, and Robin is just cool. And I hope we get to see more of that because when these characters work together and they're like, you know, like working on just an individual task together, it's, it really is a cool, like, sequence of events. So, yeah, yeah, I just enjoyed that, like, part of the climax. It was very exciting. It was really cool to see these guys work together and take down the villain. And finally, didn't get a chance to mention this earlier, but major props to Regina's outfit in the opening scene of the, of, uh, the Enchanted Forest. It just looks hella good. I love Season 7, Regina's wardrobe. Yeah, totally. I, I love the palace. I thought the palace was gorgeous. Like, oh, it was. We've seen it's a gorgeous. lot of palaces throughout the series, and a lot of them, you know, ended up sort of like looking very similar to the other. But uh, the way that they made it look, I don't even know how to just say it, like very elegant and grandiose and ridiculously, redonkulously fancy. I, I just, I loved it, and I wanted to eat all that food. I love the courtyard. Yeah, I was just curious, did anyone else with Regi- or with Zelina and Nook have like a moment where you were starting to question if maybe there was like some kind of spark? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I did crazy. for a second there as well, just because, I mean, that would have been so funny because of like the animosity that they have, uh, you know, right. regular Hook and Zelina and... Like, I've been seeing the sparks everywhere, though, and I'm like, please don't go there. Like, because I saw a little bit of, like, him and Tiana when they first met, (laughs) and I was like, oh, please don't go there, just because I really want Naveen. And uh, then I saw it here a little bit, and I was like, oh, please don't tell me they're going to shag by, like, the tree (laughs) or something. Yeah, that would also be very awkward for Robin and Alice. Yeah. Yeah. My mom and dad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but... Um, we could get weird, though. It's once upon a time. Yeah, and there was that one look, like, as... Was it during the pep talk? Where she, like, gives yes. him, like, a little look. But I think that was supposed to be a look, like, towards, like, what he just said. But then again, like, I was like, but is that romantical? I'm like, oh, please don't be horny for Nook. Please don't be horny for Nook. It was a total cougar look. <laughs> it was. Oh. E- yeah. It's hard to say who's older than who at this point. I know, he's probably technically older than her, but... No, it's the technically clause of time during the curse and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because if Hook gets 30 years, she gets 30 years. They're good. But he's still like 200 (laughs) plus by the time he curse. 
And then the, well, technically, and the, he didn't exist, right? Until he was created by the Wish. Look, we can't go into that. Yeah, we're not going to go into that. We can't he, do yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> right? We will never leave. Yes. So moving on to present day Hyperion Heights, we pick up pretty much exactly where we left things. Uh, Lucy is in a coma, and uh, no one knows what's going on. And uh, Regina and uh, Zelina, they are ready to fight for not only Lucy, but Henry as well, to keep them from dying. They're going to fight together, not as wicked and evil, but as sisters, and they're going to figure out some sort of solution. So elsewhere, Anastasia is uh, being fed by Gothel, and uh, Gothel introduces Anastasia to Victoria, you know, in the pit that she was trapped in, and uh, Gothel uh, paints a pretty horrible picture about her mother, you know, and all that she's done, all the nefarious things that Victoria has done in the past, including killings and uh, uh, all these horrible things that she's done, and uh, Victoria is like, basically, I, I did it for you. You know, I did it for you, Anastasia. You know, even what's currently happening with Lucy, I did it so that you could have uh, life. And Anastasia is obviously taken aback by the whole situation, much to Gothel's um, excitement. Back at the hospital, Eloise surprises Kelly and offers her a deal to help Henry and Lucy. And the deal includes uh, Gothel reacquiring the resurrection amulet. And uh, Zelina agrees to bring it back to Gothel. Although once Zelina, you know, gives this plan to uh, Regina, she basically tells her that, you know... uh, we're going to try to figure it out. We're going to try to, I guess, hack the uh, resurrection amulet so that uh, basically everyone can live and so that, um, what is he called, the dirty hippie bitch, uh, doesn't get her uh, grubby little paws on the amulet. And so they end up getting the idea to go back to the bar because Victoria was hell-bent on trying to purchase the bar and so uh, Regina feels like maybe besides the property you know there was something else that uh, led to Victoria really wanting to get her hands on the bar and so uh, I guess I'll wrap this up really quick before I pause so uh, they're looking through the bar they couldn't find anything in the front of the bar and the back of the bar they finally end up finding the previous signage of the bar it said you know Kelly and Ronnie's pub and that kind of thing and uh, the sisters are sharing a a really wonderful moment in which uh, Ronnie is basically like Kelly you can come back and maybe you can run this bar together we can use the sign and Zelina ends up um, breaking the sign because the resurrection amulet was embedded in it and before they could uh, celebrate victoria arrives with a gun in her hand asking for the resurrection amulet and so they give it back and they get locked in um i don't know what you would call that the the storage room of uh, the pub so let's talk about 
Regina and uh, Zelina in uh, the present day. Uh, Jenna, what did you think of uh, their relationship in this episode? And what did you think of the action that took place with them? In particular, you know, the whole deal with Gothel and them trying to find the resurrection amulet. Well, I really loved it. Um, I like how they've given more dimension to this obviously cursed relationship. Like, they didn't need to give it as much detail as they did. So seeing these little snippets of their life together and, like, their rivalry and what they were before and still finding heartwarming things kind of speaks to just, like, the fact that these cursed identities were more than just, like, I guess they're not really brushing off these cursed identities. They're kind of, like, living in them. They're reveling in them. There's, like, there's still, like, that connection between your cursed identity and who you are. Like, they can still find something heartwarming, something sad about these lives. So, I like that a lot. The comedy was... The comedy... Well, particularly one line, the... I thought we were having a moment right after Zelina smashes the sign was just hysterical. So it's great to see the sisters working together. We haven't really seen them work together a lot in the past. Like we saw it a little bit in season five, but it was only really, it was only small snippets. So seeing them actually go on a mission together where they're like in sync and there's conflict, but not a lot. It's nice. Um, It's nice to see Zelina trying to get back in touch with, um, with her, you know, with Robin or Robin's alter ego. It's just, it's cool seeing these guys go on a mission together. It's always fun seeing the hero team-ups where there's not just a a weird misunderstanding or just a rivalry. And just seeing kind of like friends or sisters work together. It shows you just how strong these bonds have become through the show of time. Yeah, it's like the time is passing. Even though we haven't seen it, we can kind of feel it and the growth between these sisters. So, yeah, I think it was really cool. Yeah, I totally agree. This is something that I've been sort of like yearning to see for the longest. I'm glad that both of the characters have gotten to the point to where they have uh, asked for forgiveness, they've forgiven each other, they have evolved past sort of like the bickering of the past, and uh, they're actually teaming up together to try to save the day. And uh, the line that I really liked was, you know, the whole, you know, Wicked and Evil teaming up, and she was like, no, it's sisters. And I'm like, yeah, because both of you have evolved from those personas. And uh, I just, I like seeing them together, seeing Bex and Lana together. It's just, it's magical, magic. All right, so elsewhere in Hyperion Heights, Rogers meets up with uh, Weaver, and uh, Weaver gives him this info dump on what's going on. At least what's going on... At least... Well, how should I put it? At least in a way that would be understandable to a person who is cursed and living in a land without magic. So how Weaver spins it is... uh, See what I did there? that apparently Eloise is a part of this cult. And uh, when she disappeared all those years ago, it was because of the cult. And she worked her way up, so now she is the leader of the cult. And the cult is very dangerous, and it's got a lot of followers. And uh, one of the reasons why Victoria 
was um, had her sort of captured was because uh, you know Eloise was trying to um, basically basically lure uh, some of her people into the cult and uh, in particular her daughter and uh, Rogers is like Ivy and she's like no there's another daughter that she has that apparently became a part of the cult and Rogers is stuck on the fact that Eloise is innocent and he won't hear anything else of it and so uh, later on uh, Rogers ends up paying Eloise a visit uh, and what he doesn't know is that uh, Eloise is in possession of Anastasia and uh, she uh, has Anastasia hide in a closet while Rogers is there and Rogers becomes suspicious about what's going on because he sees a lot of uh, you know silverware and, and that kind of stuff and plates and that kind of thing on the table but before Rogers can investigate uh, the closet or at least you know take a peek inside uh, Eloise you know creates a clever distraction with a broken uh, saucer and so uh, she tries to charm him into uh, taking her to uh, some of her um, art therapy and that kind of thing. And later on, Rogers ends up seeing Weaver and um, he tells him that he feels that Eloise is hiding something. And uh, Weaver is convinced that all of this has to deal with this mysterious cult. And they're going to have to investigate greenhouses and orchids and all that kind of stuff. Because that has to deal with uh, a special um, something or other, a sacrifice uh, that has to deal with the cult. So, Heather, Rogers and Weaver and Eloise, what did you think of this storyline? So, um, I really... I really like the um, Rogers and Weaver relationship. Like I know I've talked about that a bit in the past, but I did feel really bad for Weaver because Weaver is like completely like for the first real time that we've actually seen aside from um, where back in episode nine, he's completely and totally honest with Rogers and he lays it out in the best way possible. And Rogers is like, mm, nah, and then goes out and tries to prove it for himself. Um, but, there was something that I noticed about um, Rogers that I wanted to bring up in this episode because Rogers, whereas like all the other characters who are still under the curse seem to have a cursed persona. Like uh, Jacinda is not necessarily as strong and as bold and outgoing as what Cinderella was. Um, and uh, Tiana, Tiana has is more once she fails, she just gives up a little bit. Rogers doesn't seem to have that kind of, cursed persona in any way that I've seen so far like maybe he's a little bit less passionate about certain things but it's just it's a really weird situation that makes me wonder if maybe there's something about him that just the curse isn't repressing like it is uh, similar to what Alice and slash Tilly are going through or if maybe it's just the way he was written uh, for the show so I, I am interested in that to see if there is anything uh, that we find out later on about that relationship and that particular persona. Um, I also love that they, like the writers, can't seem to write Rumpelstiltskin in any situation where he is not surrounded by 500,000 different objects of some kind. It's like uh, he had his the Dark Castle in the Enchanted Forest, he had his shop in Storybrook, and now he's got the evidence chamber at the precinct. That's hilarious to me. Um but I really love their relationship, and 
I I really thrilled by it and can't talk about that enough. But I'll 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 leave it at that. I'm just interested to see more on Roger's characterization, I guess. So before we get into uh, like the the big uh, you know uh, intense sequence at the very end of the episode, I want to go into a side alley and discuss a very teeny tiny storyline that uh, sort of like leaves the door open to something very interesting, at least I think. So at the hospital, a doctor, Dr. Sage, is um, approaches the uh, family and basically she asks both Jacinda and Nick to basically give some blood so they can run some tests and this and that and the other. Basically, you know, just in case, you know, in case, you know, things get worse and uh, we need, you know, uh, donors and whatnot, we can have your information. So Henry, after, you know, a little bit of a talk earlier in the episode in, in which, uh, you know, Ronnie was like, you know, you're a believer, and, and I know, you know, deep inside, you know, you're a believer, and you're a positive thinker, and, and, and everything's going to be fine, and, and uh, you, know, you just have to believe that. Henry decides to volunteer as well, you know, just in case, you know, even there, even if there's like a, a teeny tiny itty bitty chance, you know, that, that he could be able to donate blood or anything like that, um, Henry volunteers. And so later on in the episode, we'll discuss exactly how this happens in a moment, but Lucy does regain consciousness, and Henry, Jacinda, and Lucy are together again happy, and the doctor, Dr. Sage, who ran the tests, discovers something very interesting. She discovers the truth that Henry is Lucy's birth father. And so she ends up taking a sip of uh, some really nasty-looking soda. And uh, she realizes that she has been poisoned. Because there's little things bubbling at the bottom. And so she keels over and dies. And a mysterious person ends up taking the papers as well as a lock of hair from the doctor. So, what the hell is going on? What's going on here? Vinny, explain this to me. What did you think of this? Were you surprised that uh, they went there? Um, I don't even know if I want to say this soon, because we are you know, headed into the uh, end of the season. But were you surprised that they were touching on sort of like the paternity of, of Lucy? And what do you think is going on? What do you think happened to the Doctor? And... Uh, what the hell with the hair? This was just a backdoor episode for the spinoff Murder, She Wrote in Hyperion Heights. I'm kidding. Oh, cool. uh, <laughs> no, you know, honestly, I'm really glad that they went there because this is something that in previous seasons we haven't come into play with as much is real world practical application and this curse. You know, it, it was really awesome that I think they dropped the breadcrumb that Henry volunteered to do the blood sampling just because he's at a, a point of like, there's nothing else I can do. I want to help do whatever I can. So he did it just on the off chance that, you know, he might be that million in one match. So that was really interesting because that was like a glimmer of who he really is shining through because they threw in the casual him looking a glance at the once upon a time book that was sitting on Lucy's bed. So that was an allusion to the real Henry shining through. Now, as far as the doctor, I am glad that they did it this early because 
I'm really looking forward to this storyline because this brings in like a third party outside. Well, not even third. We're on like fourth party now. You know, you've got Rumple, you've got Gothel, you've got Victoria, sort of. Um, you know, you've got all these different characters, and now we just get this complete curveball, and. It's somebody that obviously wants to block the parentage from being revealed, but at the same time, the lock of hair makes me wonder if this is related to witches, because obviously that's a very common practice when you want to put a curse on somebody or a hex or control them. You have nail clippings, something from their bodily fluids, or a piece of their hair, so I'm really intrigued to see how this brings the two storylines, the witches and the curse a little bit more together and i believe they did say that we will hopefully find out the identity of the killer sooner rather than later but yeah i really enjoyed this i think it's a nice little dark twist and it matches the more mature storylines that we've been seeing this season and i'm really curious to see who it is because i think it's a woman or it's a man with really really dainty hands but i'm curious to see who it ends up being it's very interesting that you know a lot about nail clippings and hair follicles I'll make sure to collect all of mine when I'm around yes. you. <laughs> I mean, I, I've studied witchcraft and Wicca and Druidry and stuff like that. I grew up kind of really interested in the occult and witchcraft, so I did a little bit of research in voodoo as well. All right. You're, we got our own Dr. Facilier. Our curse, right? Yeah, I totally didn't, because if I did, it would have been renewed endlessly. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. All right, so now it is time for the big question. Who the hell is this person? Now, I didn't notice really the dainty hands, so that was a clue from Penny. But uh, I do have my own little theory that's kind of a wild card because I really don't understand how it would work. But I'm going to say it's Robin. Whoa. Ooh, that I know, really cool, though. And I really don't Robin know why. I don't know why it would be Robin, but I don't know. We just got a lot of Robin in this episode and uh, her with the magic and that kind of thing. And and even though at the end of the flashback, she was very much like, well, magic really isn't for me. I don't know why she would be doing it, but that was like, I feel like it, it would be, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I feel like it would be enough of a shock that it would be surprising, but it also could make sense if they write it to the way that it would make sense. Because the only other person that I thought was Dr. Facilier, but, I mean, spoilers, I mean, it looks like he's going to be a potential love interest for someone that we love very much, and, and if he is, I really don't want him doing, like, really evil things, uh, unless it's to stop Gothel, which then I guess I will approve. Um, I'm thinking with Ro- if, with your Robin theory, um, Robin's Robin in the Enchanted Forest was really pro magic. Maybe in Hyperion Heights, she's very anti magic. But then I can dig that. I mean, you've also got to consider why they're in Hyperion Heights in the first place. Like I know it was Gisela who wanted the curse cast so that they could so that she could get back at her mother. But Gothel funneled that. You know, she was the reason behind it. So was there is there something about um, the land without magic that is specific to something that Gothel needs. And is this somebody who's working with Gothel that wants the curse to keep where it's at because maybe they know something? I was thinking that it could potentially be someone in the coven that, because they said not everyone in the coven is going to be right on par with what Gothel wants. Madame Leota. 
true. Yeah, it could be. But at the remember too that if the curse is broken, Henry goes back to dying. So there's the off chance that this could be someone like Alice who's knows that they're not ready to have this curse broken yet. And so I don't know if Alice would kill somebody. We haven't really seen how unhinged she can actually be at her worst, but you know, you never know. It could be someone who's trying to make sure the curse isn't broken yet because they know Henry's going to die and they're going rogue. That would be interesting. I think the fact that this person took the file sort of like throws a, a like a wrinkle in all of our yeah. theories just because this has to be someone that knows a whole lot more they've already mentioned that it's someone that is awake that yeah. uh, is you know secretly doing this so this is someone that knows a lot and is trying to i guess prevent maybe what the coven is trying to do so they have some sort of vendetta against the coven and or they want to make sure that the curse sticks around so that you know maybe henry doesn't die or i don't know i can't really think of anything else but that the fact that they took the files was really interesting you know the whole hair thing that sort of goes into sort of like the magical stuff but the fact that they took those uh, files, you know, the three files of uh, Jacinda, Nick, and Henry. And a shout out to those that create the names for the characters, because Jacinda's last name is Vidrio, which is glass in Spanish. I love that. Yep. That is so cool. That's cool. It's amazing. So, okay. So any other theories before we move on, on this mysterious, I guess, witch killer? And who knew Dr. Well, I guess with the last name Sage you know, she was going to end up being a witch. But um, who knew? <laughs> Sage was a witch. Well, Sage didn't know she was a witch either. But she had horrible yeah. taste in soda. I, I bet she was probably... She could have been one of the Coven members that's not awake yet. Well, there you go. I wonder Although what Robin Gothel... wasn't... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I wonder what Gothel is going to think of her sisters, like, dying. Um yeah. I was going to say, Robin was in Phuket, and, you know, last person that we know that was in Phuket turned to wood really fast. So, yeah. maybe she needs a savior. Well, there you go. Although, there I don't really go. think she's there, to be quite she, honest. Probably not. I don't think so, either. Yeah. All right. So, let's talk about, like, the big uh, confrontation that happened in this episode. So, uh, Victoria ends up escaping with uh, Drizella, you know, uh, she has a great line of, like, Gothel, you know, can't seem to keep me, uh, you know, uh, trapped for too long. And uh, Victoria, we catch up with her turning over the amulet to Gothel in order to save Lucy. And uh, Gothel ends up using Anastasia to... I guess, recharge the Resurrection Amulet so that it can be useful. And uh, she evens magics, I guess, Anastasia's memory away so that she wouldn't remember exactly what she did. And so it is revealed that the amulet needs a sacrifice to happen so that someone can be resurrected. So it's basically a life for a life and ivy is chosen to be the victim and ivy blames victoria you know because earlier victoria did you know sort of uh 
say to her, you know, let's squash this, let's work together, we seem to work better together than, uh, you know, working against each other, and Ivy turned her down, and so Ivy is blaming Victoria on what's going on, and Victoria is like, no, you know, this isn't what was planned, uh, you know, I'm just now really realizing that a death has to happen so that life can be created. And so Victoria ends up sacrificing herself by pushing Ivy out of the circle and uh, Victoria's life essence, I guess, gets sucked out as Victoria sort of realizes that, you know, she has been sort of um, so hell-bent and focused on the daughter that she didn't have that she didn't realize that, uh, you know, she had a daughter there that was by her side the whole time. And as Victoria takes her final breaths and manages to uh, say to uh, Drizella, you know, a final, I love, dot, 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 Vic, uh, Lady Tremaine, Victoria, Rapunzel, ends up dying, and as she dies, Lucy wakes up. And uh, later on, Rogers and Weaver end up investigating the greenhouse, and uh, they find Ivy with her deceased mother. So, a whole lot happened at the end. We got some more information on the resurrection amulet, and Victoria made the ultimate sacrifice. What do you think is going to happen? What did you think of what happened? And uh, yeah, let's break this whole thing down. And I'm just going to open the floor up to whoever wants to go first because I feel like everyone is going to want to give their two cents about uh, this uh, final scene. Or not the final scene, but you know the, the culmination of uh, what was going on with the resurrection amulet throughout the episode. So uh, who's going to jump in? I'll start because I think, oh, no, go ahead, Jenna. No, no, you go, Vinny. Well, I was going to say because I think this is the point where I'm going to have, you know, what's come to be known as Vinny's unpopular opinion. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. So this, this is the part that it just did not land with me. And here's why. Victoria, yes, she has her past. Yes, she was driven by her family originally. Yes, when she started out, she had these daughters. She cared about them. And things happened and twisted her. That's the thing. She was twisted. She is – I think Victoria was so much more than just focused on Anastasia. She was downright horrendous to Drizella all of this time, and they were by each other's side constantly. And I know it's easy to get caught up in the pursuit of a mission or a lifelong dream, you know, but just – even in this very episode, you talked about how she said, oh, you know, we work a really good team together when we work together to squash things. You know, but even before well, that, that she says – very British. Thank you. <laughs> you know, she, she even says, well, because Drizella is something like, you never showed any love to me. And Victoria says, well, it's not like you ever did anything to deserve it. And like right there, that is – that's the Victoria that – We've come to know this season, the current Victoria, you know, the one who was willing to set Lucy up to take to fall to bring Anastasia back. The one who, you know, stabbed Prince whoever back in the magical forest to frame Ella. This woman has committed murder. You know, she was so driven by her 
hatred of everyone else around her except for Anastasia. I just it it didn't resonate with me. I the acting, don't get me wrong, Gabrielle Anwar, you were impeccable. But with the history of the character, that amazing performance didn't match up, I felt, with the character itself. It's I know she was facing death, but I just I I didn't buy it. I, I didn't buy that she would be so stupid not to bring something to use a magical item without at least while she had a gun pointed on them, ask the two witches, you know, hey, Regina Zelina, what how does this thing work? Because I don't know, and I'm going to take the limelight and bring Lucy back, but tell me how it works. She just seems smarter than that. And it, I don't, I don't know. It just really, it, I. This is the one part of the episode that was the biggest sore thumb to me that I just couldn't accept. Hmm. Not that unpopular, popular of opinion there, okay. Vinny. I'm with you. <laughs> it, it it didn't resonate with me either. It was like left field, wasn't it? Like it just was it so. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Just after her whole spill about how, like you were saying when she was talking about how Drizella had never done anything to deserve her love. Like, that was a heartbreaking moment yeah. for Drizella. And yeah. for her to then turn around, just because Drizella tells her, oh, well, it was my idea to light the lanterns, just because of that one little thing to where she then changes her entire persona to save her daughter. I mean, I can get saving yeah. your daughter, but... The funny thing is, it wasn't even that line, and that line would have made much more of a difference than when it actually happened, because she still went forward with the gun and, you know, with giving the stone and didn't think twice about Drizella after that. It wasn't until Drizella was about to drop dead that that remark finally, like, hit her. It was just so strange. Well, the whole thing with the gun and the stone, in her mind, she was trying to set things right by bringing Lucy back. Like, obviously, she didn't know that someone was going to have to die. So, I don't I don't see the correlation with that. But I will say, it did strike me as well that all of a sudden she was like, huh? oh, it's you, you know? You've always been there, and I should have loved you. I agree with that. The yeah. only thing that I could say that... I don't even think it's going to convince any of you, but the only thing that I could say that I think the writers were maybe trying to go with was because they were both so venomous towards each other, they both sort of, like, threw barbs at one another. That's the only reason yeah. why I can maybe understand why, you know, even, you know, at, in the hole, and when they got out of the hole, you know, they, they were still kind of venomous towards one another because it wasn't until i guess you know ivy said about the lanterns that you saw like victoria's like face completely change about the situation and although yeah. we didn't really see them together i wish that they would have had another teeny tiny scene right before ivy you know popped up and they were going to kill her uh, where, like, maybe we saw Victoria, you know, extend a hand once more. Maybe we would have gotten the impression that that kind of, like, hit her a little bit stronger. But unfortunately, there was just so much episode. So I can agree that it did seem kind of rushed and it was kind of wonkily written. But at the end of it, like, I'm really curious to see how this changes Ivy and um, what this death is going to mean to her. 
So I was kind of cool with it, even though the death, in my opinion, sort of came out of left field. Because if you think about it, if we rewind to the very start of the season, like we all thought Victoria was the big bad. And then we all thought Ivy was the big bad. And then we all thought Gothel was the big bad. And even though she still is kind of the big bad right now, I feel like if they resurrect Madame Leota, if they haven't already, I feel like she's going to be the big bad. So the (laughs) fact that this season is kind of unpredictable, even though we have been able to sort of predict little things, it still has been a very surprising season. If you think about it, Gabrielle Anwar was a series regular, and she was killed in episode 11. Uh, You know, that is a a twist I would not have expected. And I still do believe that if we would sort of like shift the POV of the series and if we would have done it from Lady Tremaine's perspective, she would have been seen as a hero. Like, I liked her line that she gave to Regina that, you know, Regina has done all these things and um, now she's seen as a hero. You know, I've done a lot of things for my family and, you know, I'm still seen as a villain. And sure, she has killed and whatnot. Regina, Zelina, Rumpel, they've done worse or, or about as equal but if you really do think about it like all that she's done is for her family like for her to reunite with her daughter you know as shitty as the things that she's done you know throughout the, her entire storyline she has done it for her daughter and, and um i can somewhat sympathize with her as a character because she uh she did do it in a she she did it for her family and because she did she was the type of villain that understood that what she was doing was villainous if you get what i'm saying like she fully understood that what she was doing was bad but her end goal was to be reunited with her daughter. So I can kind of understand that. And I can respect her for knowing that she was being villainous. I mean, I will give them, even though it didn't really sit well with me, how where it came out at left field. The one thing that I will say about her performance is I had a callback to Cora's death scene when her last words were, you were enough to Regina. That's how good, even though this was kind of like, I was not expecting it and I I didn't agree with it 100%. The acting was amazing because it really made me call back to that episode when Cora was in Regina's arms about to die, you know, and her final words were to try and extend, you know, that feeling of like, I'm trying to include all these years of horribleness in one line. So that was well done on her part and the writer's part for that last line. I especially, like, I did get a little bit verklempt when she didn't finish I Love You. I'm, like, so glad you brought that one line up, Jeff, about, um, with with Belfry's point about Regina being a villain as well and having done dark things, but she gets seen as the hero, because that whole point is something that's skated over sometimes in certain seasons of Once Upon a Time. And I was so glad that she said that. Like, hearing her say that, that was the moment where I was like, you know what? Okay, I could possibly like Victoria Belfry. She could become one of the characters that I do like. Because, like you were saying, she does understand that she's a villain. She understands that what she's doing is wrong, but she's not going to stop doing it. 
because she's got a goal to attain. And that was, it was so cool to have that acknowledgement. So I'm really glad you brought that up. I, I meant to bring that up way earlier. Yeah, I thought it was a good line. Like, I'm a big Regina fan. Like, I love Regina since, you know, pilot episode until now. And, you know, they have given her a lot of flack. Like, her whole redemptive arc took a long time. But, you know, if you think about it, it, it made sense because she did a lot of bad things. But, like, in my opinion, her character and her whole persona has completely changed. Like, she has earned her redemption, and uh, I am really happy that she did get redeemed, but, you know, I do feel like our character should be honest, you know, and I think Regina does a pretty decent job at, like, you know, referencing that she was bad in the past and that she has changed, so... Uh, so I was I was cool with that line. You know, I thought it was appropriate and it did make sense for uh, for um Victoria to feel that way because if I recall correctly, I think Zelina had a similar similar argument to that effect uh, a couple of seasons ago in, in which She did. Yeah, she yeah. mentioned something like, mm -hmm. you know, why do you get to be a hero and you've done all this stuff and why can't I? And even though Zelina at that time was still going through her redemptive arc. You know, it didn't really make sense for her to all of a sudden be accepted by the heroes. You know, it was a valid argument then, as it was uh, in this episode. Ooh, ooh, I, I can do it now. My, my little impression, I'll try it, because I remember the line that I want to remind. Because uh, do you remember when Emma was Dark Swan and she teleported Zelina to the house to have tea and crackers? Yes. And mm -hmm, Zelina mm -hmm. was just suddenly like, well, I killed Neil. Are you ready to kiss and make up? That that was like that that line remind. Wait, was Rebecca Mater just here? Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, I felt like she really was. I'm just saying. <laughs> but no, you know, one thing I will say about I, I agree. The the villains have had so much. It, it's like, hey, you killed so and so. Come to Thanksgiving, all is forgiven. But with Regina, I will say that one thing the writers did do is while everyone else seemed to just, yes, you're a mass killer. It's okay. Come on in. They did have a long period, I mean, up until almost even, like, last season and part of this season, where Regina still did manage to not skate over it herself. She beat herself up about it still, and it was something that she did hold herself accountable for for a very long time. So while everyone else did skate over it, she did have that miasma over her of self-inflicted guilt. But I do agree with Victoria. You know, it's it, Regina was given a carte blanche for a lot of stuff, and Victoria definitely did kind of deserve the redemption that she was given i like it I mean, uh-huh go ahead heather oh, i was, I was about to say, just ask any any other final thoughts oh it, well this is this is on that that point still too um because i want to beat it like a dead horse i guess but I, it's just <laughs> also <laughs> the um just the fact that the show acknowledges that every now and then um one of the characters who's going through a redemptive arc makes a mistake and sometimes, depending on the character, it's skated over and not really addressed by the heroes. Like when uh, back in uh, season four, when Regina took Belle's heart and Rumpelstiltskin was blackmailing Regina, you know, they both made mistakes and it was kind of skated over with the heroes or with like um, Hook when he was blackmailing Rumpel in one season. I can't remember what it was, but season he was, four. Was it season four too? So yeah, I'm going back four. to season four. 
there were just there's so many little things that the villains and they they make these little hiccups and it's acknowledged by us as the viewers even if we never see it on the screen and they still get to have happy endings at the end you know it because they're they're villains they're going to make mistakes they they don't come at it from the same perspective as a hero necessarily because they come at it from a darker point of view and I love that they addressed that in the show. Like, they actually said it and brought it to light. And that just felt very uh, validating for the villainous characters that, we're, that we love so much. And also as a fan, just to say, we know that we don't always get to address these things within the show, but we do acknowledge that that, that, that kind of stuff happens. So that was really cool. I loved that line so much. And one thing that I've well, always I just, loved... Well, before the, you go, Vinny, I just yeah. want to disagree with you just a teeny tiny bit, Heather, because I feel like every time Regina did anything that was slightly bad, you know, throughout her redemptive arc, because she did, you know, backslide several times, you know, season two, season three, uh, mm -hmm. you know, she always got call called out on it. So I feel Regina like... Regina did. Well, also Rumpel did yeah. as well. Well, also Zelina. So I feel like our villains do get called out on their shit whenever they backslide a little bit and dabble into uh, villainy. I, think, I can see that. Well, what yeah. I was going to say is the show also very sneakily brings the element of hypocrisy into play. Because our villains, if you remember, are not the only ones who have ever dabbled. Let's think about Snow White and Korra's heart. Let's think about Emma when she stole Violet's heart and made her break Henry's heart to keep him safe. Our heroes are not above reproach either, but yet they still, even though when they've done some of this stuff... They do, you know, they remind the villain. So it's the show kind of brings the, it's it's not black and white. You know, you can be a hero and still make mistakes. You can be a villain and have moments where you don't kill someone that everyone expects you to kill. It's really interesting to see how they play with that because our heroes are not infallible. But there are times when it's, when, I remember when Mary Margaret or Snow, you know, they were like preaching to one of the villains about backsliding and how wrong it was. And I was just like, girl, you killed her mother. Mm-hmm. Well, damn. True, but to be fair, she didn't kill <laughs> Girl, the you killed her mother. <laughs> I think she was talking reasons. about Regina. Yeah, <laughs> but I think, you know, it, it's the fact that we're able to talk about things like this that testifies just how well the characters, there may be flaws in, you know, the logic sometimes, but the character development on this show is realistic, and that's one of the things that I've always loved. It doesn't have these prissy, pure, 100%, oh, I won't do that, that's bad, you know, heroes, and it doesn't have the pigeonholed, evil, maniacal laughter, killing everyone in sight for no reason, never any dynamics to them or, you know, facets to their personality. The characters have facets, and that's why we have the backslides. We have the heroes who fall into the dark side a little bit when it suits their fancy. It's really interesting, and it serves for excellent discussion about the characters in the show themselves. And even though I get frustrated, it's one of the things I've always loved about Once Upon a Time. Agreed. I love it. All right, so any final thoughts on the episode as a whole before we move into the MVP? Nick showing up for all of two seconds. I was curious about that. Yeah. Yeah, what is Jack's deal? <laughs> well, I, you know, I was reading an article where someone was almost wondering if he's involved in the killings. And I don't think so. But I'm still... Oh, that would be a plot like, twist. 
I was trying to figure out if his last name meant anything, and I was like, I can't think of anything. What was his last name again? Branson, I think? Or Bronson? One of those. It means he's vanilla. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It actually means son of Brando. So he's Marlon Brando's son? (laughs) Right. Because I'm down with that. Right? Yeah, it's, I'm just curious why they, you know, because I, I think he was there last episode before the break, but it's interesting that they saw fit to just dangle him in front of our face again. I'm really still, the verdict's out on him, and I really want to know if he's good or bad. Well, there you go. I, was, I had another question before we, we wrap up. Okay, go ahead. Um, because I don't know if you guys have uh, talked about this before, but um, why or how... Have, have we figured out how Mother Gothel has magic in the land without magic? Because that keeps throwing me. They talked about it. Uh, Did they? Well, yes, she doesn't necessarily have magic. She's kind of borrowing Anastasia's magic. Well, before Anastasia woke up, there was she that still scene. had magic. Yeah. There oh, was the yeah. Scene. She had the scene with the with the dirt, the and she made a plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she comments on how she doesn't have a lot of magic. Like, she's nowhere near where she would be in, like, the Enchanted Forest, but she has just enough residuals to do a little bit. So it's like a lighter compared to a bonfire. She's a lighter in our world, so she doesn't really have a lot, but that's how they kind of addressed it. Okay, I'm a, I feel like I missed that. I just thought that might have some relevance to her being um, powerful in the magical forest, but having no real power in Storybrooke. So that that just, it threw me, for, it's been throwing me for a loop, and I've been like, what the heck? Hang on. Well, I think they okay. said she doesn't well, have power Heights. in... Yeah, oh, you exactly. mean, oh, Storybrooke. Uh, oh, yeah, because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it, it was because of the land without magic, right? Yeah, I don't yeah. think yeah. they were talking about Storybrooke. I think because when they said that, they were talking about their the real world. And if she was in Storybrooke, because remember, her magic was what took robin right which still just blows my mind but if she has a little residual magic i can i guess i can get behind that Um, yeah i'll I'll let that one i I think because storybrooke has magic i think that's why i bought it i think what they were trying to say is like in the real world like hyperion heights and the rest of the world she doesn't have magic but in the enchanted forest and then in storybrooke where magic was returned she does that's what i got from it but i'm gonna watch it again and who knows i could see it differently now yeah, I think that's how I understood it as well. Yeah. All okay. right, everyone. It is time for the MVP, the most valuable player. Which character impressed you the most and why? The rules are simple. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. And if someone has already mentioned the character that you were going to choose, you must select a different one. So that means no repeats. So I have all the power in the world right now in my hot little hands on who can go first, and who will have the smorgasbord of characters to pick from. And I'm going to go with, just because she wasn't involved in the previous discussion, Jenna Pace. Thank you! Yeah, I was trying to get a word in, but it didn't exactly happen, but it is okay. Um, See, they were treating you like Ivy. Yeah, which is funny, because Ivy's actually my choice. Oh! (laughs) Funny how that works out. So, yeah, I just, I feel like I... Ivy just needed a hug. I let so um what I wanted to say that didn't that I didn't really get a chance to was from the last um podcast we put in, I, I said that the confrontations between 
um, Belfry and Ivy was what I was looking forward to the most because it's like these two women who have such resentment against each other and have such a past are now stuck in this position where they're like, you know, they, they're forced to interact. They're stuck in this awful well together. And though they get out a lot earlier than I expected to, I feel like a lot of, I feel like some of the resentment was addressed. I feel like there were a lot of great snips either way. Um, I feel like Adelaide Kane really sold those emotional scenes. And I just wanted to give her a hug by the end of it. She's definitely still, she's definitely still a villain, but I feel like so much dimension was given to her with, like, very few scenes. Like, a lot of the focus was on Zelina, Gothel, and Belfry, but, like, she with her few, like, with her relatively fewer moments gets so much across, gets so much bitter, bitterness, resentment, sadness, and love, too. And she just plays it all so well. And it really makes me excited for where they're going to go with this character, whatever her fate will be. I like it. And I'm totally for you giving Ivy a hug. Done and done. <laughs> well, uh, Jenna, mm -hmm. Jenna, I can't resist. If you wanted to talk, maybe you should have done something to deserve it. Oh! <laughs> you know, those discussion points, the ones that you hurdled so high, they were my idea! Oh, twinsies! High five, bro. Heck yeah. I don't know what that was, but it was fascinating. It just happened. I know, right, our, right in, in front of our faces, like theater in the round. It was like yeah. theater in the round. I like it. All right, let's see. Vinny, your MVP, and why? So my MVP is obvious. You guys would easily guess at this time, and it's oh, Selena. Oh, yay! <laughs> no way! It. Right? Well, no, and there's a reason why. I, I guessed it three weeks ago. <laughs> um, she had, honestly, I think the best line in the entire episode, and that's the part when she says, I'm your mother. It's my job to do insane things for you. It, it just, that line just was the ultimate denouement of Zelina's redemption arc for me. Everything that she's ever tried to do was to fight her lack of self-confidence, to fight her abandonment issues, and to, you know, not run away from adversity, you know, and not use sheep and, like, shitty ways around it with magic. Like, this character lost her magic by sacrificing it for her child. This child is now, like, spitting in her face and chose someone else over her, but she still turned around and said, you know what? No, I'm not, I'm not going to walk away. Magic doesn't He's right. Magic doesn't solve everything. I'm going to go face up to the abandonment, and I'm going to address it. And she did. She hit it like a boss. You know, she came in, and it was just like, boom! You know, Zelina's here. I'm going to kick ass. And I really, really loved her in that moment. It was just such a polar opposite from her debut in season three, the hateful, venomous, bitter, wicked witch to this woman who has realized that, you know, to fight for what you want, you don't always have to resort to magic. You don't always have to be sneaky. Sometimes you just have to face it head on. And she faced her fear in that moment and she overcame it. So she is definitely my MVP for this episode. I like it. I'm loving all the passionate pleas and uh, bullet points that everyone, you know, prepared for their MVPs. Very, very good. I'm loving this. All right. Heather, your MVP and why? 
Okay, so my MVP only had like maybe five minutes in, but in this episode, but it was Henry. Um, and because even though he was such a minor player in this episode, he took a really big step, I think, in, um, in that he focused on, I, I felt like he was bringing back his true believer self, I guess. He took a huge leap of faith to do the blood test to help Lucy, who is this little girl he met, you know, not that long ago who has wormed her way into his heart and who he at the wants birth? to help. Well, at the birth, I'm but teasing you. cursed, you know. Um, but I, I just really loved that. I loved that a glimpse of old Henry came back in this episode and just everything that he's willing to do to keep Jacinda from going through what his cursed persona believes that he went through. I loved that, and it was, it was, it was beautiful. It was wonderful, and... I'm I'm excited. I'm happy to see old Henry back, even if it's just a shade. I liked it. I like it. Great choices. Uh, although curveball with Henry, I would not have even thought of Henry. But uh, I like how you defended him. I like to mix it up. It's okay. I approve. Okay, so I'm going to go out of left field. I feel to pick my MVP. Although it kind of makes sense, if you think about it. Uh, Jenna Pace is probably already guessing in her mind who my MVP is. But I'm going to go with Madame Leota. I was going to say that. Oh, really? Yeah, I was actually thinking. It's yeah. like, he's, he's going something crazy here, so it's probably Leota. Yeah, I'm giving props yep. to Madame Leota. I really loved uh, the the characterization of this, you know, not Walt Disney World, but a uh, Disney Parks attraction icon, you know, because she has featured in all of the various iterations of the Haunted Mansion throughout the world. And uh, I love that they picked lines from the ride that was absolutely appropriate for what was going on in the situation. I thought that was bloody brilliant. And for the longest, I kept on wondering, like, are we seeing her in Hyperion Heights? I'm just excited to see what they're going to do with this character. I love uh, that Madame Leota is like a big badass witch on Once Upon a Time. And uh, I, I just, I loved everything Leota in this episode. So my MVP is Madame Leota. So now it is time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 apples? The point system is allowed. And if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden apple. And let's spice up the order. So that means, Vinny, you may go first. Woo! Um, so I, despite the death scene not really landing well with me i thought that this was a really good episode because i was really happy we didn't come back from a break with having just like a, a slogging pace it picked right up where we things left off and we had some amazing encounters with multiple characters a pairing of nook and zelina that none of us saw coming that if you had asked me what i thought about it i would have told you i thought it would be a disaster but it worked so well and i agree that the way that hook is portrayed as this alternate version of himself colin o'donohue does an amazing job continuing Continually demonstrating that it is someone different so that we never forget and just overall I thought this really was an excellent first step to the remaining season of this series so I'm going to give it eight and a half apples 
All right, so an eight and a half. Let's see how Heather rates this episode. Um, so I started with a six the first time I watched through it, and then well, after damn. rewatching, yeah, you turned but... into Vinny over the height. <laughs> well, no, I did the same thing <laughs> yeah. actually. I was going to give it a six point five the first watch. See, yeah, I was on a six point five, but twinsies. After rewatching it. And thinking about it, and after the podcast, I'm going to up it to a 7.5 um, for a couple of reasons. Um, I really liked uh, the... I loved Robin as an angsty, rebellious teenager because I feel like that is something Zelina so deserves. She deserves to have an 18-year-old who is um, a bit rebellious and uh, angsty. Um, because of the relationship between Zelina and Hook, that was awesome, and I really liked that. And also because of the juxtaposition between uh, Zelina and Robin and Belfry and um, Drizella, that the whole, just the pairing of those two relationships and seeing them side by side and seeing what the, both mothers were in, ended up being willing to do for their daughters was beautiful. And I liked that. So that's why I bumped it up to a 7.5. On the other hand, I can't get past the resurrection amulet. It bothered me so much. And that really hurt the episode. The de Belfry's death and how disconnected it did feel, even though I liked the relationship progression, it still kind of, I didn't feel like she was at that point yet. And it, it just, some of the scenes just kind of fell flat for me, you know, but it was a good episode and I'm glad that it had a lot of plot driven moments to it with those nice little funny, um, just extra scenes that, that made it a bit better of an episode for me, so... I'm on the fence still, but 7.5. Okay, so we've got a score in the 7 range, in the 8 range. Jenna Pace, where do you fall? So I kind of had a reverse thing with uh, Vinny and Heather. I came, uh, When I first watched the episode, I loved it, like, a lot. And then kind of as, the, as ideas and thoughts settled in, and especially kind of hearing, like, Vinny and Heather and your arguments, like, with the uh, with the with Tremaine's death and the resurrection amulet, it kind of lowered my score. So I'm also gonna go along with Heather and be a seven point five. Not quite the Russian judge, Ooh. but kind of pushing that barrier. Um, yeah, Tremaine's death was very problematic, and something that something that wasn't brought up was her her like her excitement about bringing Lucy back when it's really any care that um, Tremaine's had towards Lucy hasn't really been like addressed properly. It's been it's been, it's just like, because um, cause Lucy and Tremaine haven't had a lot of scenes together, and the only scene that they had together was Lucy putting, I mean, Tremaine putting Lucy in a coma. So I thought that was just weird on top of all the things going on with Tremaine's death. I get that she wants to set things right, but it's like, I think she was like, I always, she said something along the lines of, I always cared for the girl, and I'm like, when? When? Like, I know you kind of helped make sure that Ivy wouldn't hurt her when she was born, but at the same time, you really don't care about her that much. Because you know that she and she loves being with Jacinda, and you've, like, done everything you can to make her miserable. So, yeah, I feel like Tremaine's character was a little weird and problematic throughout it, so that's what lowers my score. Alright. So, I don't agree with any of you. I can't say I agree with you, any of you this time. I'm giving it a little bit higher because I thoroughly enjoyed the episode. I'm going to give it a 9. I thought it was a really strong episode to come back to. 
I liked all of the information that we got in the episode as far as, you know, when it came to uh, Robin and um, Zelina. And I also liked the inclusion of uh, Madame Leota and Memento Mori as well as... Even though they haven't explained it, I'm hoping that they explain it a little bit better. Well, they kind of explained it a little bit, but I guess it isn't to either of ours uh, um, approval. This resurrection amulet, like I feel like we're going to see a lot more of it. So they're going to have to explain it a little bit better because so far it just seems like it can do absolutely anything. And uh, I don't want it to do absolutely anything. I want it to do exactly what it's supposed to do. So... Uh, uh, that kind of dumped it down a little bit. I can forgive uh, the Victoria stuff, even though I do have issues with uh, a lot of what was mentioned. But um, it, it affected the score a little bit. But overall, I did thoroughly enjoy the episode. I just thought it was a, a great episode to return to. And uh, it opened the door for a lot more. And uh, I think it sets up this next half of the season, you know, with this serial killer that's out there, with a uh, little bit of a darker tone, with the Coven of Witches, and uh, with the fact that now we have officially, in a, um, you know, in an official uh, capacity, you know, someone else in uh, Zelina that knows that everyone is cursed, and, um, you know, seeing her sort of interaction with uh, Regina and like, you know, I like seeing Zelina's like facial responses to Henry and, um, you know, just having her there and having Regina have someone else that she can confide in with what's going on. I, I thought was really nice to see on the episode. So nine from me. So on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of Storybook Weekly Mirror. Once again, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash storybrookweeklymirror. Follow us on Tumblr, storybrookweeklymirror.tumblr.com. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, and YouTube, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Help support Poppy Chula Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash poppychularadio. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Just search for Storybrooke Weekly Mirror and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night. Night, guys. Catch you next week. Night. Night, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Storybrooke Weekly Mirror every Tuesday and Wednesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chulo Radio archives. Our Tuesday show is our episode discussion, and our Wednesday show is our special spoiler edition of Storybrook Weekly Mirror. Good night.